Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I want to talk about discipling someone that doesn't want you to disciple them. For those of you who do discipling regularly or, or on occasion, you have run into this individual. And I think it's reasonable, it should be a reasonable expectation that uh, to think that there will be people all along who will not be where you are in your walk with the Lord and they will not be as passionate about God as you are. They might not be as open and willing to change as you are. It is important for us to reflect back on that day when we weren't that open to change. I was that way for a long time. In fact, the first 25 years of my life, I was not open to change, or at least not gospel change. I was kind of open to self-help change as I read a lot of self-help books, but as you know, that leads to a dead-end road, and ultimately it doesn't help in a long-term sustained way. And it's imperative for us to always keep this in mind, that everybody is not where we are. They don't have the energy, the desire, the passion, the will to do what you want to do, to grow, change, transform. Now, there can be many reasons for that. And maybe one of the biggest reasons is that the shaping influences in their lives have been so hurtful or devastating that they just don't want to, and they become untrusting and cynical and guarded. But for whatever reason, you are in front of them, and you feel the need to help them, and that is a good thing. But what you need to know is that they might not want it as bad as you do, and so I want to talk about that in this podcast. I received a letter, or actually a long note from a friend, and I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. They ask a question, and that is why I wrote this article and developed this podcast. And so I will read that answer, uh, or read that question that they sent in specifically about a rebellious teen. But as you listen to this podcast, you will be able to make adaptations to where you can apply this to really any person who doesn't want to change. And I would encourage you to do that, meaning adapt our resources. Always adapt our resources. Our Virtually all of our resources are for universal application. But as you go down into the granular level of a unique individual, you will have to make those adaptations because I am speaking generally a lot of times, practically, but generally. For example, I recently published an article on how to overcome a porn addiction, and I made that note in that article and in that podcast, that you can apply these ideas to any kind of addiction, like overeating or shopping too much or surfing the net or whatever the addiction may be. And so I would always encourage you to think that way. How can I adapt this? If you want to read this podcast, like all of our Your Daily Drive podcasts, they are written out for you, and so that's really easy to do. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article title, which is the title of today's podcast, Letter to a Counselor, Counseling a Rebellious Teen. I'm going to jump into that, but I want to share another note that I received from my friend in New Zealand. 
And the reason I'm sharing this note with you is, one, for you to be encouraged, two, for you to know that the Lord is truly taking our resources around the world and helping people all over the place. My New Zealand friend said, Rick, can I encourage you by saying I love your down-to-earth approach to Bible-based, gospel-centered counseling? You keep things very real, but also very God-centered. You and your ministry is a real blessing for folk like myself who are so isolated from the hub of biblical counseling input. Keep up your service to the Lord and His people. We are blessed by it. Thank you, my New Zealander friend, for sharing that note. And I, if you have been encouraged, if God has used our resources to help you, I would appeal to you to send in your own note. I don't have to mention your name, and you can tell me that if you want. So don't mention my name, but you can share what I'm sharing with you, and that'll be just fine. But the reason I want to share these things is because I want you to know that, that this work is going broadly and is touching people that you and I will never meet on this side of heaven. The other reason that I say that or that I'm sharing these things is because I want you to support us. It takes a, a boo-coodle of hours. That's a lot of hours. It takes a lot of time to do what we do on a daily and weekly basis. Our ministry never stops. It runs 365 days out of the year, and we're trying. Uh, we're asking the Lord to give us more and more ideas so that we can get farther and farther out into the community so that we can reach people in real and practical ways. And so if you do have a dime to spare, would you support our ministry? Take us on for a cup of coffee. Remember, coffee is $5. <laughs> wherever you may live. But for as little as $5 a month, you can support us. And I would just appeal to you to pray about that. If This is the way I say it. If you have been blessed and if you are able, if you're not, forget about it. Just forget about it and keep using our resources and sharing them broadly. So thank you, my friend from New Zealand, not only for supporting us financially, but also sharing that note of what the Lord is doing in your life through this ministry. Now, I want to talk about this letter to a counselor counseling a rebellious teenager. The big idea that I want to communicate to you is building trust in any discipleship context can be a challenge. Let's say that the person did want to change and they are interested in the change process. Still yet, it's challenging to build trust. But suppose the person comes to you, or they are made to come to you, and that is really the context of this podcast, because as you probably already intuited, uh, this is a rebellious teenager sitting in a counselor's office, and so that means he didn't come on his own. He was, quote-unquote, made to come. And so now you want to build trust in this discipleship context, and it is, as you're going to hear from the counselor, from the question they wrote in, it is a challenge. Some people's hurt is so deep that they, they fortify their guardedness. And you would do the same thing. If you slice your finger open accidentally, you would do everything that you needed to do to protect that finger and heal that finger. You would focus on it. 
And when people are hurting, they are going to recoil. They're going to turn inward. They're going to isolate. They're going to be careful about who they share things with. And so as you're meeting with someone, especially someone in this case who doesn't want to be with you, <laughs> you need to understand that there's a reason that they got here. Understanding the interpersonal dynamics between an untrusting counselee and the discipler is critical. And so here's the note that was sent to me. Hey, Rick, I met with a teenager and his mom, and, I, and it did not go as well as I had hoped. Apart from his pre-programmed grunts, now I, I love that, there's a premeditation here. The boy had already predetermined that this is how... I'm going to come in, and this is how I'm going to be, and this is how I'm going to respond. Apart from his pre-programmed grunts, I could not get much out of him. There were a couple times where we seemed to connect, and, and I said that I liked his shirt, and on another occasion when I referenced my past pagan experiences. Other than that, there were only grunts and crickets in the room. I've been in that room before. <laughs> I've been in that room Many times. I do not struggle with silence, by the way. I do not struggle with silence in a counseling context. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in counseling, and so I, I, I really just, you know, whatever. Uh, but I have been in that room, and when there are only grunts and crickets, it's an interesting dynamic. And so he finishes by saying, do you have any advice on how to counsel a grunting, rebellious teenager? And this is an excellent descriptor, and the way he wrote it out and it's like, yeah, been there, done that, seen this many, many times, and it was a well-written question. And so here, here's my response to him. And my typical response, or at least the initial thing that I say to people, goes like this. I am so glad the Lord brought him to you. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for him, obviously. What an opportunity for you to learn, to grow, to trust. What an opportunity to spread the, the fame of the Lord. And so I want to deal with just a few things, and this will not be an exhaustive treatment to how to counsel a rebellious teenager, but I want to talk about where to begin, your starting point. I want to talk about this proud boy. I want to talk about this angry boy. I want to talk about leaning on your assumptions, things that you already know. And so let's talk about where to begin with the, the angry teenager, the rebellious teenager who does not want to be sitting in front of you. A vital key in counseling is to find your starting point before you begin counseling or discipling anyone. And let me go ahead and make this caveat. Those of you who have been listening to me for a while, you know that when I use the word counseling, it is a synonym for discipleship. Discipleship is the better word, the more biblical word. Counseling, if anything, it is a subset. It fits up under inside this big word of discipleship. And what I don't want you to hear and what I don't want you to do is that when you hear the word counseling, counselor, counselee, or counsel, that you disqualify yourself. You dismiss yourself from the conversation. And so maybe it would be better for you every time you hear those four words, counselor, counselee, counseline, and counsel, is that you make that substitution in your own mind and call it discipleship. 
because this podcast applies to you whether you have a name tag on your shirt that says counselor or not. And so a vital key in discipleship is finding your starting point. Now, the cross of Christ is always the goal. Now, you could say it another way, but you get the idea, and and the cross is a, a fixed point, and it's a redemptive idea, and so I use this picture, this visual of the cross as the goal. So like if you're moving down a football field, the goal, you're trying to head toward the goalpost. In, in the Christian world, the goalpost is, is the cross of Christ. Now, what you have to do is you have to discern the distance the person is from the cross, from the goal, the spot in his unique journey where he is, and that will be your starting point. In a vacuum, in a context of what I'm saying here, the starting point is irrelevant. It doesn't matter as far as the location of his unique spot. But what does matter is that you know where it is, or more specifically to tighten that up, you know where he is, meaning it does not matter in the context of what I'm saying here that he is lost or saved as long as you know where to begin. If you assume that he is saved and you counsel him like a believer, you're starting at the wrong place. Jesus always talked to people differently, according to where they were, not according to where he was or where he preferred them to be. Parents can struggle at this point often. They wish their children into heaven. They wish their children into salvation. They wish their children were at a different place. And they are not discerning that, no, your child is really here, not there where you want him to be. And thus you have a wrong starting point. Not only will you counsel imperfectly, but you can get frustrated because he's not doing what that kind of person should be doing. All the while, he's not that kind of person. Your little Johnny is not a believer, and you're frustrated because he's not acting like a believer. When Nicodemus approached Jesus, the Lord met him where Nick was, not where Jesus was. Jesus talked to him according to how Nick could understand him. The dialogue is in John 3, 1 through 8. Even though Nicodemus was confused at times, ultimately he was intrigued enough to where it does appear he became a believer, as we read in John nineteen thirty nine. And if you really dissected the text in John 3 of how Jesus talked to him, you would see why he talked to him in a particular way, because it fits who Nicodemus was. And then you turn the page when Jesus approached the woman at the well. It was a different kind of conversation in John 4, 7 through 26. Why did Jesus talk to two people with the same problem, a lack of salvation, but he talked to, talked to them differently because she was a different person at a different spot in her journey to the goalpost, to the cross. Nicodemus and the woman at the well were both way out from the cross, but two different places. There are many roads that lead to the cross, and you have to understand the person's unique journey to help them uniquely. 
customize your soul care to the person that you are talking to. Jesus connected to her according to her narrative, not according to his. And as he related to her, he began to introduce new ideas, which eventually had the same impact on her that it had on Nicodemus. I'm going to place my money on this teenager's starting point as being miles before the salvation line. I'm going to say, based on the information I have, that he's not a believer. And I could be wrong on that, but you're sitting in the office. You have to discern these things. But right now, the smart money goes on him being miles before the salvation line. He is somewhere in the community of Paganville. And if that is true, he is a long way from the cross of Christ. He has not even made it to the border of salvation Now, with this thought in mind, here are two things for you to consider. Number one, I would not recommend talking to him with either of his parents in the room. I'll explain that in a moment. And number two, I would not recommend talking about Jesus or other God things at this point. And so my first point here is where to begin. My second point is you have a proud boy. And so I would encourage you to remove distractions. Your teen is a proud boy who must be true to his self-promoted image. As I often say, that, that we all have a representative, that person that we trot out into society hoping that people will like our representative because we're pretty sure that they will not like the real thing, the person behind the curtain who's controlling their own representative. And so this boy has a self-promoted image that he must maintain. Therefore, being consistent in front of those who know him a certain way is vital to him. If his mother is in the room... He cannot be anything other than what he has always been with her, meaning a monosyllabic grunter. He's a proud boy. To let down his guard by being humble, responsive, using multiple syllabic words, stringing sentences together, giving a little, or even smiling would do damage to his well-guarded reputation while harming his fragile ego. If he is going to talk, which is your good goal for him. Your proud teen needs a place where he can be weak. You see, weak is his kryptonite. As Paul talked about in 4-7 of 2 Corinthians, truly we are a fragile jar of clay, but this boy cannot be that, and he will not be that. In front of his mom, no matter how much, in the depths of his soul, he is crying out for help. And so he can't be weak without others knowing about it, especially those people that he wants to maintain his tough guy persona. I've said before that if I could get a macho man in a room with me, and by the way, this has happened many times. I've had the macho man uh, in a room with me, and if I could get him with me, and if all the stars were lined up and the sky was perfect and all the other distractive things in the universe were in order, then he would cry like a baby. He would make a puddle on the floor. And I have seen this time and time again. 
The macho man can only do that under the right conditions because men can be, here's a, here's something that you didn't know. Men can be so stinking proud with their John Wayne, tough guy, nonsense, machismo, crapola, that for their reasons, there's a lot of Greek words in here, but I won't take the time to explain them. That for their reasons, they must present toughness at all times. And your little man is the same way. He must maintain his Fonz image. Now, I'm not going to explain that either, but there's a link here that will take you to the 1970s sitcom called Happy Days, and it'll explain who the Fonz was. He has to stay in character, but that is only masking what is going on deep in his soul. Therefore, he needs a safe place to cry. He wants to find that place because he is hurting, suffering, angry, and lost. He does not know how to unravel what is binding his soul in knots. And he will not reveal his hurt as long as his mommy is in the room. Ain't happening. No way. No how. He'll, he'll grunt and occasionally scratch under his armpits. But that is not who he is, or at least not who he wants to be. Uh, to paraphrase the late, great Elvis Presley, one of the lyrics to his song, or partial lyrics, was, I'm in a trap, and I can't get out. Ask the Lord to give you the favor to remove as many distractions as possible. Give him a better opportunity to come out, to remove his cool mask. And so point number one, where to begin? Find your starting point. Point number two, you have a proud boy. Point number three, you have an angry boy. And so you need to remove expectations. And so the next thing to consider is to remove his preconceived ideas. He has at least two of them that could drive a communication wedge between you. Here's one. He knows you're a Christian, which means you're going to drop the God card on him at any moment. Number two, he knows it's three against one, which means he's pitted against you, mom and his dad. Because he is miles and miles from the cross, somewhere in Paganville, it's on you to go and meet up with him where he is, which is something he will not expect. The idea that I'm laying out here is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus, our first missionary, came to our dark place to rescue us. God always gives us more than we think. This is a big idea. We see this in Ephesians 3.20 where Paul was talking about God who's able to do more than we ever think or ask. Well, you want to model that in a human way, in a counseling office. You, always, you don't want to meet expectations. You want, to, you want to catch them by surprise in a sense. He knows you're going to drop the God card on the table. He, you know that it's three against one in his mind, and so you're working from a deficit. This is one of the things that I always disliked about meeting with a teenager in this sense because he comes in with these preconceived ideas, and the truth is it's not three against one. I'm not even sure that I'm on his parent's side, but he wouldn't know that. And God always transcends our thoughts. So not only was Jesus our first missionary, he came to our dark place to rescue us. God always gives us more than we think. God's thoughts transcend, go beyond our thoughts. And so disarm him by creating an unexpected category that catches him off guard, meaning drop the religious stuff while talking to him in a way that 
he does not expect, but in a way that is more comfortable for him. I'm talking about being appropriate here. I'm not talking about being unbiblical. I'm not talking about being inappropriate. I'm talking about being wise and loving. It's like visiting with someone in their home as opposed to having them visit with you in your home. People will always be more comfortable in their own home. And since he's in your office, which is a negative, you can minimize the therapeutic barrier by entering into his world. Talking about his shirt was a good move on your part. And mentioning your pagan background, well, that's gold. I suspect having his mommy in the room stirred up the grunt machine at that point, but he couldn't say anything more. But if she were not there, you could probably walk down memory pagan lane with him, again, appropriately. And he may do more than grunt at you. Without bragging about your past, use all your relationship with God to reach him, even your poor, stinking relationship with God before you met him. When you were more like the boy than like Jesus, you're not boasting in your past sin, but you are using sin sinlessly. You are using your sin redemptively, removing this odd notion that too many people get stuck in their heads that Christians are different from the rest of humanity. You could remove that notion from his head. You see, apart from God's unmerited aroma on our lives, we all smell the same. So do as you have done. Share with him about your relationship. Remember, you're going to his place, to his spot in the road, and treating him according to who he is right now to move him a bit closer to the cross. You probably won't be able to do anything more than the crushing of some of his categories at this point while dropping a few seeds in his heart with the prayerful expectation that the Lord will give a fuller increase on another day. For now, just water and plant a bit differently than the traditional counseling way of doing things. Ah, it's so frustrating. Be his friend. Be real. Use all your life appropriately with him. And then finally, lean into your assumptions. Use what you already know about what is going on in his heart to your advantage. Now, I have an article here called 12 Universal Assumptions Assumptions You Can Make About Anyone. I have an infographic here embedded in this article that comes from that original article, and I have 12 things listed in this graphic for time. I can't share them with you, but you can look at the graphic if you want to. It's in this article and that one. It's in the article, 12 Universal Assumptions You Can Make About Anyone, and it's in this article titled, Letter to a Counselor, Counseling a Rebellious Teen. There are some assumptions that are universal, that apply to everybody. This is inside information that you already have before you ever met this boy or before you ever meet anyone else. You already know in a very real sense, how people tick, because we all come from the same Adamic cloth. But instead of focusing all, on all 12 things that are listed here in this infographic, I want, you, I want you to focus specifically on one universal truth, and that is that all people suffer. I want you to dial in on that truth. Your friend is suffering, and he does not want to be in pain any longer. Why do I know that? Because we're all like that. He's not unique that way. Every person is suffering in some way, and every person hopes to end their suffering. 
It's kind of like logic. Ask the Spirit of God to create a thirst in the boy's soul that will motivate him to want to escape his suffering. Somebody coined the expression that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's not true. Put salt in his oats. He'll drink. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Ask the Spirit of God to give you the discernment to tap into the inner workings of this boy's heart to stir up his suffering, to stir up the pain, which hopefully will provide him with a thirst for a different kind of water that you can present to him. Right now, he's drinking from Jeremiah's cistern in in 2.13. He's not drinking the fountain of living waters, but he's hewed out cisterns for himself, broken cisterns that really don't hold water. The water that Jesus offers is your hope, and if he comes to Jesus, he may drink, and if your friend does drink, he will be satisfied. I trust these things will help you. I also realize I'm not hitting on everything that you need to know. And so what I would like for you to do, my friend who wrote in to me, is to read this article, listen to this very podcast here. And then what I want you to do is to jump on our forums and ask Uh, questions, more questions, so we can take it down to a granular level with this unique individual. And so I would encourage you, after you read the article, listen to this podcast, uh, come to our website, rickthomas.net, ask your questions, and it would be a joy to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net rickthomas.net